We'll be in John chapter 4 this morning, looking at verses 27 through probably 42. While you're turning there, I want to thank you for your prayers. Uh, my grandfather passed away. He was 97, World War II vet. Loved Jesus. Nothing like doing a, um, you know, officiating, I call doing it, but uh, a memorial or a graveside service for someone who knows and loves Jesus Christ. Just total peace. It was sweet. I also want to thank uh, Pastor Marcus for filling in. If you missed his message, you can go online and check out his message out of Acts 21. On uh, You can go to ccfww.org for that. Well, we left off last time while I was with you, uh, and Jesus was passing through Samaria and meeting a Samaritan woman at a well on the outskirts of a Samaritan village called Sukkar. And as we discussed last time, as it is mentioned in verse 7, Jews really did not interact with Samaritans because the Samaritans were half Jewish, half Gentile people with a hybrid religion. And the Jews really didn't like that too much. But although they held to the first five books of the Old Testament, the Samaritans had their own priesthood, they had their own temple, they had developed their own false worship system in Samaria, and so most of the Jews wouldn't even interact with Samaritans. As I mentioned, they would travel around from, and they would avoid their whole territory. And for Jesus, who was a Jewish rabbi, to be speaking with a Samaritan woman that had been, as we found out, married five times, probably under some suspicious circumstances under there, and was shacking up with the guy that she was with then, it was pretty interesting for this Jewish conservative rabbi, so to speak, to be speaking with a, Samarit- a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman, in that situation. But it says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria, and we find out why And this was because while sitting at the well of Jacob on the outskirts of that city in Samaria, exhausted from his travel, Jesus met a woman, the woman at the well, at noon, coming to draw water. And in this conversation that Jesus has with this woman, who is scorned, she comes to realize, he leads her to realize how totally, absolutely sinful she was, that she had a thirst in her life, that could not be quenched by all the relationships that she had uh, formed throughout the years and that she was currently engaged in, the false religion that she was engaged in and entrenched in. And Jesus graciously showed her that she needed the spiritual life that only he could give to quench that thirst within her life, the living water. And the conversation ends in verse 25 with the woman totally exposed, totally just blown away that Jesus is reading the inner workings of her life and her heart. And in repentance, it seems, she says, I know that when Messiah comes, he was called the Christ. When he comes, he's going to tell us all things. And Jesus plainly declares to the Samaritan woman in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. Picking up today in verse 27. Just then the disciples came back 
And they marveled that he was talking with a woman. Again, this was a cultural no-no. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The disciples were just blown away that Jesus was talking to a woman, right? And the Jews had set up all these obstacles and all these biases on their interpretation of what God might or might not like. And Jesus was not going to be under man-made law, under man-made biases. He just bypassed that. He wasn't going to be subject to that. And so Jesus, he spoke to the outcast woman. Jesus asked her for a drink, which was a big no-no. You didn't drink from Gentiles. Jesus offered her new life, entrance into the kingdom. Jesus revealed her sin to her. He taught her about true worship. Jesus revealed that he was the Messiah to the half-breed Samaritan woman. And the disciples were just stunned that he was even talking to her. And they would learn why. But the woman was absolutely, totally changed, verse 28. And so the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Jesus' impact upon this one was so profound that she went back into the city and started telling the people. Isn't that interesting? The reason that it was so profound to her is that he knew everything about her. He knew exactly who she had been, what she had done. And she said to them, to these people, could this be the Christ? And this is what John the Apostle, his, his, one of his, his, the main thrust of why he's writing. Could this be the Christ? Later in John chapter 30, verse 31 John says at the end of the book there, basically, uh, sorry, chapter 20, verse 31, he says that the reason he recorded all these eyewitness accounts was so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, that, you, that by believing uh, you may have life in his name. And so as we're going through the book of John, the reason why he is telling all of these stories, all of these things about Jesus, his interactions with people, all of these things, are so that we can know without a doubt that he is the Christ. As they come to the realization that he is the Christ, over and over and over and over again, through miracles, through interactions, through his conversations, we can get a picture that he is the Christ. That is John's purpose. And so for the Samaritan woman, Jesus met her, he offered her eternal life, he revealed her sin, he revealed the false religion she was in. Notice Jesus didn't pull any punches. Jesus isn't offering her best life now. Jesus walks to her and, and asks her for a drink, but we find out that she's the one with thirst. Pretty interesting. And through this conversation, her thirst is revealed and how thirsty she was. And Jesus said, if you knew me and you know the gift of God, I would give it to you. You would ask and I would give you this life. But she didn't know. And so Jesus graciously reveals himself to her so that he could give it to her. Isn't that amazing? The living water. So Jesus says in the beginning of their conversation, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given it to you. And that's the heart of sharing the gospel. Really it is, church. 
That's the heart of sharing the gospel, that people would know Jesus Christ and receive the gift of eternal life through faith in him. That is why the church exists, to glorify God by loving and obeying Jesus Christ. But that's not to be a little club that we have. That's to extend out to the world around us. Amen. And Jesus leads her to that understanding where Jesus plainly reveals that he is the Christ. And so John says in 28 to the woman, it's, uh, John says in verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see the man who told me all that I have ever done. Could this be the Christ? Her life was changed when she encountered Jesus. And notice that little thing. It says that he, she left her water jar. Isn't that kind of interesting? When you're reading the Bible and you see these little things, there's a reason. The Holy Spirit just leaves these things. Not only is the reason because it's an eyewitness account, and these are something that, this is something that John actually saw, but I think there's a picture there. And, and this is not the say at the Lord, but I think there's a picture there that she came thirsty for earthly water, but she left filled with living water. And I think that's what happens when we encounter the Lord. When we receive his water, we come thirsty, but we walk away filled. And no amount of stuff we pour into our hearts and our lives and our minds could ever fill that spiritual gap that we have. And Jesus came to give it to us. And when people are filled with the living water, when they're changed by Jesus Christ and from his life, they do what this woman did. What did she do? She left her water jar, and then what did she do? What did she do? She went and told people. That's how evangelism happens. That's how sharing the gospel happens. Verse 30 says that, what happened to those people after she told them, they went out of the town and were coming to whom? To him. To him. And that's our role as Christians. Did you know that? That we live for Christ, we share Christ, and because of our spiritual witness, people come to me. No, they come to him. Amen. We don't want people to come to us, we want people to go to him. Amen. And so John comes back to the crowds in just a minute, but verse 31 says, so she goes and tells the crowds, and they started to come to him out of the town. But meanwhile, verse 31, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. They'd been on a 20-mile or so walk in the Judean wilderness from the um, areas around Jerusalem coming up to, uh, through Samaria. Jesus was tired. He was thirsty. No doubt he's hungry here. And the disciples came back from town with food, and they urged him to eat. Verse 32 but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? They were clueless. They were clueless as to what Jesus meant, as most of us are at first when we hear from the Lord, as we, when we read his word. Anyone else? Jesus was speaking about spiritual things, and they were thinking about hamburgers. That's what's going on. It isn't until John 16, and you know how long it's going to take for me to get there. I'm doing pretty good. But until John 16, when Jesus finally speaks plainly to them, right? And his disciples say, hey, you know, you're finally not speaking in figures of speech. We can understand you. 
We're so thankful. Keep this up, Jesus. But, so they hung on for a long time, but basically others didn't until about John chapter 6. You see that many started to fall away because Jesus kept speaking in this manner. He kept speaking in this pattern. And this is the pattern we've seen so far with, with most of anyone who talks with Jesus. He is speaking about the kingdom of God and people from earth don't get it. That's what's going on. People don't get it. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus, response, how can a man be born again when he is old? How can he, should he, is he, is he entering into his mother's womb a second time? Nicodemus does not get it. The woman at the well, Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that was standing before you, you would ask and he, you know, and he would give you this living water. The woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. She did not get it. Amen? The disciples, master, eat. I have food that you do not know of. They have no clue. They were reasoning that someone had given them food while they were in town getting food. They're thinking he had a snack on them or something. And this is how it is. Jesus is from above and we are from below. And unless he translates for us and awakens us about the things of the kingdom of God, we are without hope to ever understand. Two different kingdoms, two different languages, one from eternity, one of pure light, one of total darkness, incompatible. And yet Jesus broke through our darkness and came to where we are. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 speaks about how the Holy Spirit reveals to us the mind of God. He says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself uh, but is himself to be judged by no one. For he who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Man only has the, the ability and the, uh, the ability within himself to understand earthly things, earthly wisdom, earthly thoughts, earthly understanding. The things of the kingdom are foreign to him, absolutely lost on him. Him meaning us. That's what the Bible declares. But the spiritual person, that is a person who has the mind of Christ, Paul says, the, the spirit of God within them, they are able to discern the things of God. Those who are born again, who are born of his spirit, are now able to understand the mind and the heart of God. Unless a person is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that interesting? It's as if, and I've used this, this example before. Sorry about the sound here. It keep, keeps getting messed up. The, uh, I've used this analogy before. There are waves flying through this room right now. And we are 
without capability within ourselves to be able to translate them, comprehend them, grasp them. We might know that they're there, but we, there's no understanding whatsoever in our own brains. Elon Musk is working on that. But I pull out this little device, and all of a sudden, I'm able to grab those waves and pull it into an, an understanding that I will know. Same thing with the Spirit. We must be born again. We must be given a new spirit. We have no ability to comprehend truly to be in relationship with God apart from his spirit being within us that translates the things of the spirit. Jesus enters our world, becomes one of us, starts speaking to us so that we, not, would, not so that he could you know, make us have our life now, but so that we could totally be transformed and changed and be a part of his kingdom because this kingdom is in darkness. It's in rebellion. It's under the judgment of God. He came to save us out of the kingdom of man. A spiritual person has the ability to understand the spiritual of God. And Jesus, the spiritual things of God. And Jesus is speaking spiritual words to natural men. That's what he's doing the whole time. And he does it on purpose. Because those who are his will hear his voice. He has to open their minds to the things of the Spirit. The disciples just are walking around for a couple of years really not even getting it. You guys notice that? And how patient and how kind the Lord is with them and, and waking them up and revealing them and teaching and just kind of, kind of like he was with the woman at the well. She didn't know at first, but he brought her along a path until she realized it. And this is what the Lord does. And then we see a difference in the disciples at Pentecost. What happens? The Holy Spirit falls upon them, and all of a sudden, all those Old Testament scriptures that they had been new since a kid, all of a sudden they came alive. And the prophecy of Joel makes sense, and the Old Testament makes sense, and it's all concerning Christ and his resurrection and everything that was, it was all, and it just translates, and then Peter stands up and starts preaching the gospel, and people get saved, and there's a power and a dynamic in their life. You see, apart from being born again, we're, we're religionists. We're, more, we're moral people. But we don't have the Spirit of God in our life. And this is what Jesus came to do, is to give us His life by knowing Him. And when we're changed, and when we're born again by repenting and believing in Jesus Christ, our life changes. There's a dynamic in our life that changes. We now read our Bibles, and we begin to understand our Bibles. How many of you have had that experience? Yeah, only four or five of you. That's not good. We've got to work on that, right? No, no, you don't work on it. You, you, you ask the Lord, right, to give you the discernment. And so Jesus had to translate for the guys what it meant by food. I have food. Notice the, the verses before was talking about water. Now he's talking about food. Interesting. Spiritual water, spiritual food. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Thank you, Jesus, for translating. Thank you. Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus about spiritual birth. Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well about spiritual water, about new life. Jesus is now speaking to his disciples about the spiritual food that Jesus desired. Jesus teaches them and he teaches us something very crucial here. That is hunger, that his hunger above all was to do the will of him who sent him, to do the will of the Father. That is what he was hungry for. That was the spiritual food 
for Jesus, meaning that like we're starting to hunger for lunch right about now or just a little bit, right? And that hunger is going to eventually cause us to move in action, correct? Towards that, Jesus so hungered to do that, the will of the Father, that it moved him to action above all else. His Father's will, the priority of the kingdom, that was Jesus' priority. This is touching on the theme of our men's retreat this year, guys. The, um, the theme of our men's retreat is the priority of the man of God. Men, make it a priority to come. Make a, a spiritual priority in your life to go and be blessed. And let God take care of how you get there and all those things. Commit your ways to the Lord. And he'll take care of all those other things. There's people who give towards that thing. But that's just a shameless plug. But I can really relate at times to the disciples who were clueless as to what those priorities were. Jesus had to teach them. He had to show them so that they would know how to follow after him in glorifying God. And so Jesus explains a little further. He helps them out a little further. Well, what in the world is this food? Verse 35, he says, Don't, Do you not say that there are four months and then comes the harvest? You know, you have to remember that this area that they're in is kind of like Walla Walla. There's, there's, it's an agrarian society. There's a lot of planting and harvesting going on. He says, hey, you know, there's a, there's a saying you guys have, hey, we put the seeds in the ground, now we've got four months until the harvest comes. Right? But Jesus says, No. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And most likely, as Jesus is speaking, the Samaritans whom that woman talked to are coming up over the hill in their white garb, and you can just see them coming up over the hill, and he's saying, look, the fields are white for harvest right now, right now. It isn't four months from now that people are going to be ready to receive the kingdom and me a savior, Jesus is saying, it's right now. It's right now. Jesus is saying, this is my priority. This is the reason my father has sent me to bring these people into the kingdom. They are ready. Look up. Verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving his wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Jesus is saying to his, his disciples, the spiritual harvest is here and you are the harvester. Follow me into the fields. Get on your combines and get to work, right? It's there. It's ready. And Jesus said, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. You have to reap to receive wages, do you not? You have to bring in the harvest to receive wages. And this is the thing, is that those who enter into the labor of the Lord, who are a part of not only sharing the gospel, but harvesting those, so to speak, bringing them into the kingdom of God, they receive wages. They receive rewards from the Lord. Isn't that awesome? God rewards us for doing the work that he called us to. That's pretty fun. I like that. Jesus says, so the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. The person who sows the seed in the field and the person who brings in the harvest rejoice when it happens, don't they? There's a joy in putting something in the ground and then seeing what happens to it in the end. 
Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, he's addressing divisions within the church. And the problem with that, that church is that you had different gifted people within the church. And by nature of people, they start to go, oh, well, I like Pastor Apollos. Oh, well, I like Pastor Paul. Oh, yeah, well, I like Jesus. I'm really spiritual. And uh, so that was going on. And Paul's just trying to correct this church in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians. He says, hey, I planted, I planted the seed, you know. Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are what? We're one. We're a team. That's what he's saying. And each one will receive his wages according to his labor. You're going to be rewarded according to what you did by the Lord. For we are God's fellow workers. Remember, he's the one who does all the real heavy lifting. He's the one who causes people to come to Christ. He's the one who motivates us to go into the fields and to share the gospel and to bring people to Christ and all those types of things, right? We're God's fellow workers. And you are God's field and God's building. And Paul says, I I shared the word of God. I spread the seed, but Apollos came along and he watered it. He, he taught and encouraged them until they came to maturity in Christ. But nothing happens unless God causes a person to grow, so God's the one who gets the glory. Paul is playing off what Jesus said here, obviously, but he said, listen, disciples, you guys are reaping and you will rejoice with those who were faithful to sow the word of God in their hearts, verse 37 for here the saying holds true, one who sows, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. What's Jesus saying there? He's telling the disciples, look at all these people come up the hill. That didn't just happen. That happened because there were people before them putting the word of God in their hearts to where when this moment came along, they would respond. Moses, the law, they had, they had the law. They were reading the law. They probably had interaction with some of the prophets. Definitely John the Baptist teaching was going around. Jesus had been proclaiming the word. The seed had been spread and now it had come to the place where they were ready, ready to come to Christ. And the disciples were going to reap what they did not sow. And that's how, the, that's how it works in the church, church. That's how it works with us. We are the ones who spread the seed. We are the ones who water, and we are the ones who reap. But it's God who does all the, all the work, the spiritual growth. Amen? And when you enter into the gospel ministry, and by the way, if you are born again, this is, to, this is what you are called to then, to go replicate and duplicate what God has done in you. Either you are sowing the seed, or you are watering, or you are harvesting, and that is to sow the seed, being you are proclaiming the gospel to those who, have, who haven't heard it. Or you come alongside those who have heard it and give them further understanding and, and, and help them along a little further by proclaiming to them to the word. Or you're harvesting, you're bringing them into the kingdom so they are ready to receive Christ, and then you're discipling them and growing them in Christ. I often find myself just sowing seed. That's kind of seems like the area that God's just given me. I just, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not an evangelist. You know, 
That's it. I just go, and I'm an ox in a field, and I plow the ground, and I put the seed in the ground, and then I water it. It's kind of what I do. And I kind of know that about myself, and it just seems like that's kind of the gifting area that God's put me in. But I'm excited because I know that a lot of you are harvesters. Amen? And a lot of you are, are waters. And by the way, a lot of you are the ones who cast the seed as well. But we all work together. We're one in Christ. It's exciting when you, when you, and it happens occasionally, when you get to the end where someone is ready to receive Christ, you don't even have to do anything. You walk up to them and you just say, yeah. Do you want to see Jesus? And they're like, yes. And you're like, wow, that was easy. And really, when you're first evangelizing, God gives you a lot of those. It's pretty cool. He wants to encourage you along, I think. But sometimes you're just talking to people who are like, yeah, whatever. And you're just casting seed. But then who knows what happens when they go to that other state and they're in a different situation and their parents have been praying for them that someone in, in Walla Walla would please share Jesus with them as they're off to whatever college and they don't, you know, and all of a sudden they run into one of you. And you don't know that someone's planted a seed and you walk along and you water it or you walk along and you have the honor of harvesting. But God is the one who is at work. And we just need to be faithful to lift up our eyes and see what he sees. The fields are white with harvest. You're going, oh, it's hard ground. So what? That's not your problem. <laughs> That's God's problem. You be faithful to what God's called you to do as his servant, and you just plow the field, or you spread the seed, or you water, or whatever it is that God's called you to do, or harvest. And there's a great joy you have when people come to Christ. Amen? Because we all rejoice to get together. The person who who's kind of maybe disconnected, the grandma who has praying for years, who set that seed a long time ago, and then here we are as a church, and we get to take that person into our fold and pray for them. We all rejoice that God has done a great work. You know? And that's not only our little church, but that's how the body of Christ works. Beyond our walls. Universally how God is working on, in this planet by His church, which just does not encompass this little place. But He's got people from every tribe, every, every tongue, every language, and, and the gospel has been spread throughout the world. And who knows? I mean, we had some dear brothers and sisters uh, that were from India that were here for a while. And, you know, Brother Terry uh, brought them, and we were able to come alongside and encourage them and Probably she came to the Lord, maybe the husband didn't, but they're back in India right now. Who knows what God's going to do with that place? And I'm excited about that because how do you evangelize India? Well, I think God figured it out. And we just were a little part of that. And we are a part of that universal call upon the Lord's church to go into all the world and make disciples. I'm so excited to begin this Tuesday how to share the gospel class. And by the way, it's not just how to share the gospel. This is how to share the gospel. But what is the gospel? What are we sharing? And what do you do in different circumstances? We're going to be discussing all that stuff. But my prayer is for us as a church that we, like the disciples, would look up. We would get a, a vision for the world that Christ has for us.
that we've been taught, we've been built up, we've been encouraged, we're mature believers in a lot of respects, but that now that we would take that and we would look beyond us, we'd look to the lost, we would see the harvest. We don't have to wait. We can enjoy entering into his labor right now. Amen? And seeing the Lord bring people to himself. You know, we're planning on our class going to the fair and evangelizing the fair. Do you guys know that? No. <laughs> you didn't. 100,000 people descending on Walla Walla over a week. Isn't that wild? It's like they're coming to us. Same with the whole immigration thing. It's like, yeah, you can get frustrated with this or that, and true, there should be law and order and all that great stuff, but the fact is, the people we couldn't evangelize are coming here. Yay, let's go get them. For Jesus, right? Right? Right. Yes, that's the correct answer. But, you know, you can be a part of us. We're going to probably go to the fair this, not this Friday, but the following Friday? Or whatever the fair is, that Friday? I'm not, the, I'm not, obviously don't have all the dates figured out yet, but that Friday night. And, we're gonna, and you know what we're going to do is we're, is we're going to purchase a bunch of fair tickets. We're going to stand around and give a give few people free fair tickets along with some tracks and just share Jesus with them. And then inside we're going to give some kids some ride tickets with a little bit of Jesus involved there. You know, a little sugar helps the person <laughs> go down. If you want to be, a, if you want to come with us and do that, come. You don't even have to come to the class. We want you to be a part of that as the church. We also, you know, and here's the big pitch. Some of you are like, ah, you know, I can't go. I can't walk around, you know, the smoke and all that kind of stuff. But maybe you want to help, you know, buy some tickets right in the offering. Just write fair on your little thing and just put it in the plate or put it in the box. You know, just be a part of the mission of the gospel of what we're doing. Amen? So if you want to come along, please do that. And that's just kind of a shameless plug. But just a practical way that we can begin to share. And Jesus said to start in Judea. I mean, start in your Jerusalem. Where is your Jerusalem? Well, it's the people in closest vicinity to you. What do you think? Who, who are those people? What's the next group? Who's your, who's your uh, Judea? Who are the people a little further out from you? How about... Samaria. How about the uttermost parts of the earth? Those are, that's your mission field. Start close and work your way out. And so the fields are white. People are coming to Jesus because the Samaritan woman was transformed by Jesus. Verse 39, and many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Because she said, hey, he told me everything that I ever did. It started with her testimony. But that's not where it ended. And that's kind of what, what really is the hook for a lot of people. They see Christ in you. They see your changed life, and they go, what's going on there? And you begin to share what Christ did in your life. But that is not the point. We've got to be careful. That is not the end game. The end game is not you. The end game is his story, his gospel, him, amen? 
And her story piqued their interest because she obviously had been through a lot, and she starts talking about this rabbi who told them everything, and she says, could this be the Christ? Verse 40, and so when the Samaritans came, well, verse 39, sorry, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of what? His word. This is what we hope when we share the gospel, like that woman's testimony. Our hope is that our words, our story, our testimony of what Christ did in us points to his word, his story, his testimony. Amen? So they come to him and hear his voice. Some of you are here because of whatever reason, but ultimately you don't need to hear me or you don't need to hear Anyone in this room, you need to hear from God. You need to hear him speak to your heart. And when he does, he's going to speak directly. He's going to reveal what's going on in the inner workings of your being. And he's going to do that because he longs to give you life. He wants to cleanse you of your sin and forgive you and make you brand new. He wants to reveal your thirst to you. And it's going to hurt. He's going to ask you to abandon everything and pick up your cross and follow him, and you must or you will not be in his kingdom. But when you do, you have life. And that life, Jesus says, is is like something that starts within and it overflows out. And I don't know about you, but my experience in, in my natural life is that it started out great, but then it went like this. It started to die and dry up. And that's because by nature... I was separated from life. I was separated from God. It's the other way around with Christ. And it goes on to eternity. Paul says the outward man is perishing. That's because of sin. But the inward man is being renewed day by day. That's the promise, that life that Jesus gives. Repent and believe. And many more believe because of his word. They believed what? That's important. What is it that they believed? Verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that what? This is indeed the Savior of the world. They believed the gospel. It's not that you believe that Jesus was alive and walking around. It's not that you believe he's a good teacher. It's not that you believe that all these things about God or Christ and all these things, do you believe in who he is, that he is the Christ? He came from God. He is God in the flesh. And do you believe that he died on your behalf on the cross? He died for your sin to appease God's wrath that was coming to you, to me. When you believe that he is the Savior, your Savior, That's how you receive salvation. And that is a work of God. That's what they believed. By the way, this has been the pattern that John has set out, that people come to know Jesus by people who have come to know Jesus. Notice, she told the people, the people came to Jesus, and then they knew. John's repeating this over and over and over. Remember those who took the How to Study Your Bible class? Repetitions. 
Do you see the repetition here over and over and over? In John chapter 1, John the Baptist is sent by God and testified of Jesus. And then in chapter 3, people began to follow the ministry of Jesus and John began to decrease, right? That's how it works. Um, John the Baptist told his disciples, I think John chapter 2, Behold the Lamb of God. And then two of his disciples started to follow after Jesus. Remember that? And then Jesus, after spending time with Jesus, they were convinced that he was the Christ. Remember that? One of those was Andrew, Peter's brother. What did Andrew do? Andrew went to his brother Peter and told him, hey, we found the Christ, we found the Messiah, this is what's happened, blah, blah, blah. And he starts telling the gospel, right? And Peter goes, mm. he had to be convinced, we learned from the other gospels, that he came to know Christ. Well, then we see it goes on. Then Jesus finds Philip, and Philip gets Nathaniel after Philip believes in Christ. He says, hey, we found him, Nathaniel. We found him, the one Moses is talking about, Jesus of Nazareth. We found the Messiah. And what happens then? Nathaniel had to be convinced. Anybody ran into anybody who has to be convinced? And so he brought him to Jesus. I love that. And he tells him, that, and Jesus then begins to speak to Nathaniel, the things that only God could know. And Nathaniel then believes. And so this is the pattern over and over and over and over. God intervenes in people's lives. They're born again. They believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, their Savior, and they're saved, and they're filled with this living water, and life begets life, and that person begins to share the gospel with others. That is how it works. That's God's plan. And this broken woman, scorned by society, sought out by the Savior, made whole by Jesus Christ, filled with living water, what does she do? She goes and tells the whole village, the very village that she was trying to avoid, by the way, by coming at noon to the well. Isn't that interesting? What Jesus does to a person when they're changed by him. What value, what worth is poured into those people. And she starts to testify. We share what God has done, and we share the gospel, trusting that the Holy Spirit will speak to the dead people around us, spiritually dead, spiritually stern, spiritually thirsty, just like we were. And the Holy Spirit, that he would illuminate the truth of who Jesus is, their Messiah, their God, the Savior, and that they would be born again. Verse 42 and I said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Just real quickly, again, that this is John's big picture, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Savior of the what? The world. Right? It's ironic that the outcasts that were hated by the Jews were the ones that were ready for salvation. Pretty interesting, huh? You like that? There's a lesson in there for us if we would have ears to hear. Jesus went to the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews, without a doubt. We can't get away from that. To the Jew first, then to the Gentile. Jesus, that means the, the gospel came through uh, the Jews, Jesus came to the Jews, but they never received him nationally. They never received him as the Savior of Israel, let alone the world. 
the Savior of Gentiles. For Jesus to be the Savior of the Gentiles would have been an affront to them. There, the way they looked at society, the way they looked at things, limited so much. And Jesus didn't see the lost the way they did. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is the Savior of the world. These Samaritans, these half-breed, broken people believed and they were cleansed, they were brought into the kingdom, they were made whole. And that's what we are. That's what I am. Just a broken Gentile nobody that Christ came to and saved. What grace. And Jesus is the Savior of the world, of people from all the while, believe it or not. But this does not mean that he saves the world. That's universalism. That's not the gospel. It means that Jesus is the only Savior of the world. It means that he saves people out of the world. He saves mankind. He is the Savior. He is the way, the truth, the life. Any other way is demonic. Any other religion is demonic. Any other one that rejects Christ is demonic. If that's hardcore, then the way is narrow. It's him and him alone. Jesus in Revelation, well, Revelation says, out of every tongue and tribe and nation, a people were called out. They were around the throne on the end of that day. Paul said in Romans 1, 16 through 7, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. To the Jew first, to the Greek. So the gospel saves anyone who believes, who believes that Jesus is who he said he is. God in the flesh, the Savior of the world, that died on behalf of your sins, my sins. Those are the people that God saves. And when we turn, when we believe, we turn from sin, we turn towards God. And like the woman, well, we leave the picture and then we cleave to Christ and we go and proclaim the gospel. That is what saved people do. And I pray that we would have the heart of Christ for the lost, you know, that we would be tender-hearted towards the lost. That um, like the Lord has been towards us, that we would look out to the fields around us and long to go into them, that they would be saved and not... Just cast them off because of whatever political or social or whatever situation people are in. You know, we always want to be the hero in the story, don't we? But could it be in fact that we are the Jews as the church sometimes? That we're the ones who are hard-hearted? That we're the ones who don't reach? This does not mean accepting sin. Jesus absolutely called her on the carpet, the woman at the well, on her stuff. She said, you're in a false religion. You're empty. You're dry. But he did it in love so that she would come to the living water. I think we need to be willing to go into Samaria. Are you willing to go in Samaria? Are you willing to walk across the street? Are you willing to talk to that boss you don't like? Who's wronged you so much? And, oh, yeah. They need Jesus, amen? They need living water. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 13, in closing, almost, therefore, remember that formerly 
You who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves circumcision. You were called uncircumcised by the Jews, which is done in the, in the body by human hands. Verse 12, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been what? Brought near. That's what God longs to do. He longs to bring the person who is far away from him, who is totally lost, near. Is that you today? Jesus is here. His spirit is present and he's calling you to repent and to turn and he will give you living water. You will be, never be the same. But not only for us, but for the world who are far away. Sometimes we can be calloused to the lost, and I want to end with this. Remember the story of Jonah? Remember the story of Jonah in the Old Testament? Jonah in the whale, he, he got in the whale. Do you know why he got in the whale? Yeah, because he didn't want to go preach to the people that God told him to go to. He hated them. That's what's going on. I love the Bible because it's just raw. God's like, Jonah, go to Nineveh. He's like, yuck. No way. I hate Gentiles. I'm not going into that place. It's all, I'm getting on a boat, and I'm going. He gets on a boat, starts to head to Tarshish, and then God creates a storm, Correct. The storm gets so bad, everybody's going, we're going to die, and they all start calling out to their gods and all this kind of stuff, and Jonah knows what's going on. So uh, God's after me. I know he is. So he goes, okay, i got to jump off the boat, and then you guys will live. So he jumps off the boat, gets in the belly of the whale, gets spat up on the shore three days later, and God says, now go into the city I told you to go to. You're my prophet. Let's go. He's grumbling the whole time. He goes. He goes to the king preaches to them that they got to repent and turn from their sin. You guys got to repent and turn from your sin. And they do. They totally do. And he was so furious because he knew that God was gracious. He knew that God was merciful. He knew that he would grant repentance, but he didn't like these people. He didn't want to do it, wasn't going to go. Any of you a Jonah this morning? Don't go the fish route. Just do what he says. Obey him. Walk across the street. Talk to your boss. Just obey him. Who knows what the Lord would do? He went reluctantly. He preached, right? Chapter four, 4 of Jonah, verses 1 through 3 of Jonah says, because the Lord caused them to repent, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? And that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast and love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. That is how much he hated these people. 
I would rather die now that these people are saved than be a part of this. How hard-hearted. And by the way, why is God using this guy? I think there's a reason. <laughs> it's a great illustration for something, someone. And so Jenna, Jonah went and sat outside the city wall, right? And he sat there wallowing. He's looking over the city that just got a revival. And there's this plant. It's hot. It's the Middle East. There's a plant that God causes to grow up overnight, and it shades him. And he's like, oh, this is great. I've got shade. And then God sends a worm that eats that plant. It falls over dead, and he's in the, hot, in, in the heat again. And Jonah ends with God in, in Jonah speaking. Verse 9, Jonah's really mad. He's losing it. He has to die again. He says, do you uh, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah responds, and he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pitied the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and also so much cattle, question mark. And that's where it stops. That's the end of the book of Jonah. What does that tell you about the heart of God? That even in his justice, there is a love for the lost that he looks on people as people who don't know their right hand from their left in their sin. They are in total darkness. And so who's he going to send? That's you. Will you go? Lord God, Forgive us. We're so focused on food and water and our own houses and all these things that we quite often don't look up and see the true food, the true water, the true harvest. Change us, Lord, by your grace. Empower us, forgive us, and... Uh, May many people come to know you through those you've redeemed here at Christ Community Fellowship and in Walla Walla and throughout the world. And we just want to thank you for having pity on us Ninevites and for sending someone into our life to share the gospel, to tell us that we must repent and that there's a way to be forgiven. For God sent his only son into the world to die on behalf of wretched sinners that they would be forgiven and pardoned and not only that, be adopted by that king into an eternal kingdom, undeserved and eternal. Thank you, Lord God. Lead us today. Your kingdom above all. In the name of Jesus, amen.